All right, everybody, here we are. This is Flea Market Fantasy number three. I am your co-host, Mike L., and as always, I'm joined by... Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. Yes, here we go. This is so <laughs> exciting. We got another comic book to review. Um, I've been reading a lot of comic books lately, but let me tell you, yeah. nothing compares to these old 70s and 80s comics. I'm sure you agree. Yes, and uh, since you bring that up, Mike L., I found out you're yes. cheating on me this week. <gasps> You're already doing like two other podcasts. What's the deal? Oh, hold on. You're telling me that when I post stuff on Facebook, you can you can see that? <laughs> yes. I had no, I had no idea. <laughs> so, uh, tell tell the kids what these other podcasts are that you're doing. So, one of the other ones I'm doing that is actually just launched minutes before we started recording was um, it's called Here Comes the Spider Cast, and that is uh, a friend of mine <laughs> named Josh reviewing every single spider-man comic of the 80s okay <laughs> okay and uh that was like the first comic book that i was really obsessed with that i i just uh, was spider-man i had to buy every spider-man comic didn't matter if it was a guest appearance or you know marvel team up or web of spider-man whatever um but yeah so i love spidey and then the other one is called quasar quinology which is <laughs> yes. uh, i know i love those names <laughs> I, and that's basically following every chronological appearance <laughs> of your favorite marvel superhero Quasar. So yeah, yeah. Th- this is we gotta d- we gotta talk about this. All right. <laughs> no, I like. I think podcasts work best when it's very niche and obscure, and you overanalyze something that doesn't need analyzed. And I think okay. that's what you're doing with Quasar. So that's nice. But at the same time, Quasar. Who canceled? You know why Quasar? <sighs> I'll tell you. It's just it's just one of those things that I, I picked up Quasar number one when it came out, and I think it was the summer of 1989 when I was first getting into you know. It just expanding my uh, my comic buying habits or whatever, and it just clicked with me. And it was just you know the, sometimes there's it's just like an obscure band where you'll get into an obscure band and then all your friends will like the band, but like no one on earth knows who they are. It's kind of like that. You know what I mean? Like me and all my friends read Quasar, but really, whenever yeah yeah, it was <laughs> just one of those friends things, but, read Quasar. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but like you know we, when I talk to other people from the '80s, no one knows what the heck I'm talking about. So yeah. He's a very obscure character, but very beloved by myself and my group of friends from grade school. <laughs> All right, so here comes the Spider Cast, Quasar Quinology, yep, and uh, Flea Market Fantasy. So you've got three podcasts going for the Comic uh, Book Syndicate, and you can all find these on the YouTube channel, the Comic Book Syndicate YouTube channel. Absolutely, and on Facebook. And Josh is sort of uh, more technologically inclined than me, and so he's working on getting it on one of those thingamabobs. That makes yeah. it accessible to, you know, wherever you get podcasts from. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't know about that stuff. I don't Be, know because I've, I've been getting a lot of letters from orphans and clergy uh, and, okay. la- and Larry. And they're all demanding, okay. when is it going to be on iTunes? When is it going to be on okay. iTunes? Hopefully this week, maybe next week. We're working on it. All right. We'll see. You. Awesome. But now, Mike L., it's yes. Flea Market Fantasy. Yes, it is. Where we look at one issue from the 70s and 80s, and we break it down. And uh, l- last week we did the Brave and the Bold, and that was uh, that was a train wreck. I don't. I, Are you kidding? <laughs> I wasn't a fan stop, of that. Stop. So this stop. week, Jim Aparo, it's, it's anyway. my pick. It's yes. my pick. And we're going back to Marvel. We're going Daredevil yes. 161. Yes. From November and 1979, and the title was To Dare the Devil. To Dare the yes. Devil. A little play on words there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, last week we did that Brave and the Bold because you said that was your first comic book you ever purchased. And I was trying to think, well, I don't know what my first comic book I ever purchased was. And I remembered I had, you know, X-Men 129. And I think you said that, well, that's 1980. But here I had this issue as well. And this is 79. So wow. we're getting closer. So, 
Maybe at some point we'll figure out what comic was the first one I ever owned. But I'm guessing it would probably be a Batman or Spider-Man. They were probably detective work. We will figure it out. Yeah, eventually we'll get there. But uh, this Daredevil, uh, 161. Daredevil is my favorite superhero, Mike L. He's the best. Really? Yeah, he. I love Daredevil the most. And uh, a couple years ago, when I got the Marvel Unlimited, I went back and I read every issue of Daredevil, starting in the you know number one, going all the way through. And uh, I, I got to say the the early works of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. It started uh, April 1964. Daredevil was like in the second wave of superhero comics that they launched. They had you know they had the Fantastic Four and Spider Man and Captain America and all that stuff. But then they uh, well. I, well, they didn't do Captain America until later. I'm always confused on the chronology of Captain America because they were doing it, then they stopped it, and then they brought it back. Well, yeah, yeah. Technically, he was created in the '40s, but and then he yeah. was brought back in the '50s, and then brought back again in Avengers number four. So technically, he came yeah. in a little bit later too. Yeah. Yeah, but like Daredevil and the Avengers were kind of like in the second wave, and they wanted another Spider-Man. That's how they got the Daredevil. And uh, right. Stanley, Bill Everett, created him with a little help from Jack Kirby. And uh, then Wally Wood introduced the, the famous red costume in issue seven. Because mm. before yep. that, he was wearing the yellow and the brown underpants. Like right. A, like an acrobat, like a circus monkey or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, when, you, when you get the red costume, so that, that's Daredevil. And uh, I love the Daredevil. I don't know why. I, I guess, well, uh, the, the fact that you're blind superhero is pretty mm-hmm. intriguing. That, you know... And not only is he blind, but his his weakness gives him his greatest strength. The in, the radar senses and the enhanced senses. So right. uh, I, I like that little twist. And uh, I, I just also I was raised Catholic, so I guess you know have that connection. Okay. <laughs> so the Catholic guilt. Uh, and yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah. And I just always liked the big uh, the red costume. You know, just a blatant daredevil, and you know he's he's a daredevil. He'll do whatever he wants. No fear, Michael. The man without fear. You know what's funny? You pointed out something that um, there's so much thought put into these characters, and I think that's also a reason why it really irks me when um, Marvel tries to replace them. Like, th- like throughout the, the years, they'll try to replace their superheroes with like fill-in identities. Like, for example, m- the most famous one is Miles Morales, right, replacing <laughs> yeah. Peter Parker. And it, it really irks me how younger people think that it's like, oh, well, I like this one better, so screw Peter Parker. And it's like, <laughs> they don't realize how much thought was put, in, put into, for example, a character like Daredevil. You have someone who's raised as Catholic, yet they're, they're walking around dressed up as a devil. Yeah. They're called Daredevil. He is a lawyer by day, but by yep. night he's a crime, he's a law-breaking vigilante. Yeah. Like, it's amazing. He's also blind, right? The statue, uh, the, the the famous statue of justice is blind, right? Oh, yeah, the that's right. The image of the woman. Yeah, so it's like there's so much thought put into this. So they didn't just think of this in their sleep, you know? Like they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah, a great character. But uh, when it started, I'll be honest, those early issues, not so good. <laughs> not, not yeah. So good. <laughs> I tried to read those two, and they're pretty rough. Yeah, uh, it wasn't Stanley's best work. Uh, no. But I... It really isn't until Frank Miller comes in as the writer and the artist that he, that Daredevil really shoots to a whole nother level. He becomes right. a whole new guy. And, th- and that's a little bit later. That uh, Frank Miller starts writing and drawing once with issue 168, the first appearance of Elektra, which is another issue mm-hmm. I owned. Uh, but this, 161, Frank Miller is just the artist, and it's written by Roger McKenzie, and we'll talk about them a little bit later. But uh, when this issue starts off, Mike L., uh, in issue 160, the previous issue, 
uh, Daredevil's villain, his arch nemesis, Bullseye, mm-hmm. is, is back and he wants to get uh, he wants to kill the Daredevil. So he hires a fellow named Eric Slaughter, who's mm-hmm. an elderly crime boss. He brings him out of retirement with all his thugs, and he wants to kill Daredevil. And in and for his big plot in issue 160, he kidnaps the Black Widow, who is kind of like Daredevil's girlfriend back then. Mm-hmm. They're an item. So in this issue, it starts uh, with Daredevil wanting to free Black Widow, save her from Bullseye, and they're at Coney Island, Michael, an amusement park. Yes. It's a pretty great backdrop for a uh, a superhero fight. I think. And I and I'm most familiar with Coney Island because they for some reason constantly referenced it in GI Joe. I think it was one of <laughs> Cobra's secret headquarters or something. Oh, but see, we'll get to that later. I don't even yeah. remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, is, since you bring it up, Mike, uh, at some point in the future, do you think we'll be dipping into GI Joe? Oh, I think so because <laughs> right. I absolutely want to, you know, like I said, I want to cover all the those those random comics I had as a kid and GI right. Joe's definitely one of them and uh Daredevil Born Again Part 2, I think. That was also one of them, so that'll be thrown in there eventually too. Yeah, yeah. I had all the GI Joes too when I was a kid, so yeah. Oh, great. We'll great. Um and I guess you could say Snake Eyes is a little like Daredevil in a way, maybe. Yeah, know, similar, yeah. Somewhat. Um all right, so uh, the, the issue starts at uh, with Turk, our old buddy Turk, who is like the uh, street level. He's like a hapless criminal. Turk, are you familiar with Turk? You know, it's funny. No, um, but I did go back. I, I read the the three issues before this just to, because they're all drawn by Frank Miller, right? Yes. So I'm definitely glad I did, but um, I had never come across Turk or any really of, like. No, I don't think so. Because I don't know if I'd really. He's pretty prominent in the Daredevil, really? even in the Marvel universe. Yeah, he's pretty well known as like a street criminal and just, you know, Dang. petty stuff. And he always uh, runs afoul of Daredevil. And Daredevil uses him as like a uh, criminal informant sometimes to get info. But uh, it, So was he, like, was he used in Born Again? Um, yeah, he was there. Uh, Dang, okay. As, a, as an auxiliary character. Uh, down I didn't below. know that. Okay, I'll have to reread um, it. Okay. Also, Turk, if you pay attention, he shows up in the, the Netflix series as well. Um, oh really yeah. okay okay so which he, by the way i loved but we'll talk about yeah, that another yeah. time yeah. so he's a very uh, well-known character so uh he, he's running into coney island to, to talk to uh slaughter and his men he's like hey daredevil's on to us but he's having trouble talking because daredevil's already broken his jaw so he's uh having trouble talking i oh yeah <laughs> but uh so he's like hey daredevil he, he knows what we're up we got to get out of here and then slaughter's like well you dummy he he just you just let him to us and, uh-huh. and of course daredevil's there and he and he pounces on Slaughter's men, and he gives him quite the whooping, uh-huh. beating up on <laughs> yeah. uh, Slaughter's men. Uh, and, and then what happens, Michael? Well, basically, it's interesting because I was worried that the the story was going to take a strange turn because um, Daredevil ends up sort of uh, trying to track down um, where uh, Bullseye is keeping uh, Black Widow by the. But he's sort of speaking to him on this like you know, whatever it's called, speaker box. And then you see Black Widow's tied up on this uh, roller coaster. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, that's kind of, I'm thinking about Scarlett Johansson or Johan. Is it Johansson or Johansson? Uh, Johansson. 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 <coughs> yeah, okay. Sure. In, in the in the Avengers movies, I'm like, wow, this is like such a throwback 
to you know um to for such a major character to, to sort of just be the damsel in distress but then what ends up happening is yeah. there's a little twist yeah. and she gets blown off of the 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 roller coaster tracks and falls to the ground you're like oh no what's happened to black widow and of course you, it turns out it's a dummy yeah. right so yeah but the, now the so whole, the real blackwood so yeah, go ahead well the whole thing was just a plot to lower uh, daredevil <laughs> onto the roller coaster or the roller coaster as i like to say so that slaughter's men who were perched in a sniper's nest could, could gun him down while he's trying to save right. black widow but daredevil gets there and he he senses that it's not widow you know he can tell no heartbeat and all that stuff exactly. so he bails and all the guys are like, oh, what's Daredevil doing? He's scared. He's chicken. He's leaving Black Widow to die. And then Black Widow dies. But it's just a dummy. Daredevil knew all along. you know. So, right. Yeah. Because that's the thing is that nobody <clears throat> knows Daredevil's blind, right? Yes, that is correct. They, they don't know he has that those heightened senses. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the we should mention the cover, too, because the cover depicts that scene. I love the cover. Yes. Uh, it, you, get, you got Bullseye in a roller coaster uh, car kicking Daredevil. Uh, in the face, mm -hmm. launching him off off the car, and then in the background we see Black Widow tied to the tracks, and and she's she's going to get run over. It's a great cover, I love it. It is a great cover. It, it's very very dynamic. It almost reminds me of the type of cover the GI Joe would have back in the day, <laughs> like a Mike Zek GI Joe cover, right? Like just <laughs> yeah. that, like the 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 way that Daredevil is getting kicked and just his head is arched back, like it's great. I love it. Yep. Although I got to say, for a mannequin, that Black Widow on the cover is got is very you know lifelike. Yeah, the expression yeah. on her face. Bullseye doesn't skimp on the, you know the uh, the dummies. <laughs> yeah, ex he yeah, pays exactly. top line for his right. dummies. Yeah. So uh, after he uh, he saves uh, or he figures out that it's not Black Widow, so then he he grabs uh, Turk. And he says, "All right, Turk, uh, where where is Bullseye? J just tell me where Bullseye is." And the other thing I liked about this, Michael, is uh, in the beginning we see a giant devil looming over the Coney Island, like a big giant devil statue. Let me go back. So on the first page? Uh, yeah, within the first oh. two pages, you see this giant devil is like the looming over uh, Slaughter and Turk. It's just just big giant statue. And, and that's where Daredevil's holding Turk. He's grabbing Ah, him, right. And yeah, he's I climbed on okay. top of this big giant devil. But I like that as the setting the mood that the giant devil's overlooking everything because, you know, here comes mm -hmm. Daredevil. Here comes Daredevil. You know? so, uh -huh. so Turk says, hey, Bullseye's got him in the arcade. So uh, he goes, all right, so... And then we cut to the arcade, and we see uh, that Black Widow's tied up in front of, like, a, a, a knife-throwing board. Her hands are tied above her head, and they're just, like, kind of, you know, taunting her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're using her to bit for bait to get Daredevil to show up. Again, it's a little bit unfortunate. I, I guess it's sort of a trope that she's used as just sort of bait for Daredevil, but she does yeah. manage to... Yes to get out of it herself which is awesome right yeah she's no damsel in distress like exactly she, daredevil doesn't save her at all she right. saves herself by uh when they're throwing knives at her because bullseye bullseye has one of his henchmen throwing the knives because really why would bullseye the guy who can't miss bother throwing <laughs> knives yeah, at right. a tied up black widow he has his right. little stooge do it so his mm -hmm. stooge is throwing the knives and black widow is uh moving her body contorting her body all around to get the knives to hit the ropes and Bullseye's like, yes. hey, quit it, you dummy. Quit throwing the knife. She's, and then it's too late because she's free. And then she just beats the holy hell out of uh, Bullseye's men. Yep, it's great. But then when Bullseye's about to uh, go in after Black Widow, uh, Daredevil shows up. And then Daredevil and Bullseye start duking it out, Michael. And mm -hmm. what do I say, Michael? What do I always want in a comic book? Fist fights. 
I want punches. Fist fights. Yes. Right, here we go. Right. We got about three pages of fist fights. And it's just Daredevil and Bullseye going toe to toe. What a battle this is. It looks like Daredevil's mm-hmm. just whipping them up. But then Bullseye, to, to use a uh, to use a pro wrestling term, like, oh, he, he starts getting the heat on uh, Daredevil. And then okay. Daredevil makes his comeback. Uh, but he knocks Bullseye down. He, he cracks someone in the jaw. Bullseye falls down right next to a gun. And he picks up the gun, Michael, and he's got Daredevil in his sights. And what happens? Daredevil basically kind of just talks him down like he psychs him out, right? Yeah. He gets in his head. Yes. And I got to say, that is maybe the only scene in the book I don't really like. Because it just seems like something that, I don't know, I've sort of seen Penguin chicken out like that i think i've seen dr octopus chicken chicken out and from what i know of bullseye well it just seems out of character no it really isn't it fits because uh daredevil's always thwarted uh bullseye and bullseye was scared of him that's why he was he was hiring slaughter's men to kill him because he didn't have the guts to kill him but what else is going on here michael that you may not be aware of is at this time bullseye has a tumor in his brain ah yeah okay and it it makes him he's losing his mind and that's not ah. revealed yet. It's not revealed for a few more issues. But that's okay. why he was going screwy, because he, he had okay. a tumor in his brain. So this really wasn't Bullseye at his, you know... At his best. Yeah. It was a weakened, mentally unstable Bullseye. And yeah, okay. he, he just caves under the pressure, and he can't uh, do anything. He can't shoot Daredevil. He just cracks. And then uh, Slaughter's men are still there surrounding uh, Black Widow and Daredevil. But but they say you know what uh, we don't we have no respect here for Bullseye because he just caved and also I doubt he's going to pay us because he seems crazy <laughs> so we're just going to let you go Daredevil but the next time you see us it won't be that easy you know we're going to come okay kill okay yeah. yeah so that's what happened there um okay okay yeah I can I can buy that yeah it it makes more sense when you put it because if you don't know that you're like oh what the hell is Bullseye he's, he's a right. he's a wimp no there's more going on here. Uh, okay. But also, Michael, there's a subplot going on in this issue that uh, just briefly we see uh, the news reporter Ben Urich of the Daily Bugle yes. uh, investigating, battling Jack Murdoch, Matt Murdoch's dad. He's at an old boxing gym talking to right. one of the, talking to the janitor there. He's been there for years asking him about Jack, you know, battling Jack. And why, for those who don't remember, that was a Matthew Murdoch's dad who uh, refused to throw a fight and then he was mm. murdered for it. And he always insisted that Matt, you know, study the books, you know, use his brain. And now, now as the janitor says, he's a crackerjack lawyer. But back in the day, the kids <laughs> used to make fun of him for being a bookworm and not, not being out. And what, what did they call him, Micah? What was his nickname? Well, funny you should ask because it was actually <laughs> Daredevil yeah. of all names. Yes. Yeah. And Yurik Which- knows this and he's putting the pieces together. He, <laughs> yes. He's, he's yes. putting everything together. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And you know, it was probably my favorite part of the book, but it also calls attention to, I didn't realize that was in the comic because that was also in the TV show as well, right? His nickname? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Season one, they talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. So it it makes it, it's kind of like when, you know, before Superman was, had his Clark Kent secret identity, didn't anyone ever piece together? Wait a minute. This kid that used to go to a high school is now Superman. Because they but, because he didn't need glasses when he was in high school, right? So, but it's a pretty good, uh, you know, um, alias when you're blind. N- not not many people can think you can be a uh, superhero okay, when you're good blind. Point. Good point. So that's true. Yeah, that's okay. pretty tough to figure out that one. 
by the way, Mike L, do you know yeah. the origins of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are tied into Daredevil? You're aware of this, right? Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Did you want to talk about well, that? Or? Well, let's just mention You can explain it to the people. Well, but, yes. So for people that don't know, the the very first issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was basically just, it was a joke, right? It was a parody. And the name, they basically were satirizing all of the genres of comics that were popular in that time. And so what they did was each you know, segment of the name references a specific genre. So you have Teenage, which is New Teen Titans. You have uh, Mutant, which is X-Men. Uh, Ninja, which is Frank Miller's uh, Daredevil at the time. And then Turtles, which is funny animal comics. So that's it. That's exactly Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's the joke. And so then you have um, The Hand, which, or sorry, you have the foot, which is a reference to the hand, <laughs> yes. right? The, uh, ha- the hand is in Daredevil. Uh, Frank Miller introduced right. them as like a ninja clan of evil ninjas. And then the, the turtles did the foot. Yeah. And then and then also uh, Shredder is really just a reference to stick, right? Uh, no, uh, Splinter is a reference. To oh, stick. sorry, sorry. Right, wait, yeah. right. You're right. Splinter is stick. Yeah. And then Shredder, would that be what, Silver Samurai? Maybe I'm stretching it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, it could be someone like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's not uh, exact, but. But the, the turtles, they got their, their powers, their strength. They became mutants because some toxic waste spilled into the gutter and infected them. And how did that toxic waste get in the gutter? It was the very same car crash that caused Daredevil to get his yes. powers. Yes. I forgot about that. That's right. Daredevil shoved an old man out of the way of this truck. But a toxic spill happened, and he got in his eyes and blinded him and gave him his powers. And that same toxic spill went into the gutter and made the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Isn't that great? Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, all, it's also amazing that, like, I mean, at one point, I mean, in the 1980s, there was, you know, far more people, you know, were fans of the Turtles than were ever fans of Daredevil, right? It's kind of funny. It, just think, Michael, if that truck driver was a little better at his job, we wouldn't have any of this. that's true that's true it's amazing all right so uh there's the issue um now the writer of this uh michael we we mentioned it earlier a fellow named roger mckenzie do you have any knowledge or history with roger mckenzie you know it's such a coincidence in one of the other uh episodes of a podcast i do we have covered some roger mckenzie stories yeah and you know it's it's funny because they weren't great and so i didn't expect expect much from this but Reading this, I was actually surprised how good it was. I mean, there was definitely a few moments where the dialogue was pretty hokey, but overall, it was better than I thought it would be. You know, what did you think? Yeah, this, this was solid storytelling. Uh, there's no real memorable quotes or anything. One of the reasons I like doing these 70s and 80s issues is usually there's some really memorable quotes, like just because they're so goofy or funny. Or, but, right. But th- really, there aren't any of that here. This is just solid storytelling. Um, and again, if you know the subtle stuff with Bullseye, it works better. And um, again, the best thing he does here is Black Widow is a badass. She's not right. a damsel in distress. So that's really good, especially for that time to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Mackenzie, he got his history. He started out, his first story ever was in uh, Vampirella, number 50, 1976. And, okay. And he did a lot of uh, horror stuff. That was his thing. Did a lot of horror. Really? Yeah, and okay. when he came to Marvel, well, well he actually did a two-page uh, war story with Frank Miller for uh, DC uh, Weird World Tales, number 68, 1978. I never heard of that comic, but... I've it, heard of it. It's interesting that he, <laughs> he worked with uh, Frank Miller on that, 
And then he yeah. took uh, Mackenzie took over Daredevil with 151 on March 1978, and he gave it a darker tone similar to his horror stories. And uh, Miller joined him as the artist with issue 158, seven issues later. But Mackenzie, a lot of his stories in this time, that, like th- this stuff with uh, Bullseye, th- this like two or three issue arc here with Bullseye was really good. But some of the other stuff uh, had like ghosts and I don't know tigers uh, and shit. Like it wasn't that really? great. Um, really. Really. Okay. So that's why. Uh, Miller wasn't real happy with a lot of the stories and he wanted to take over the, cause he loved the character Daredevil and he wanted for the same reasons we, I, we mentioned earlier, the, the blind hero in a visual medium it, that intrigued Frank Miller. So he was a big Daredevil fan and he petitioned to become the artist on Daredevil. And then he wasn't really enjoying the stories that Mackenzie's writing. So uh, Denny O'Neill, the editor made Miller the, uh, writer and artist starting with issue 168 and we should mention like frank miller at this time is like 22 you know wow yeah. okay i didn't realize he was that young yeah wow. he, he's just a kid and this was his first the daredevil art was his first regular penciling gig he had been doing like fill-in issues and covers for marvel but this was his first mm-hmm. regular gig and i his art i think back then was spectacular i loved it well loved it you know okay like i'll tell you right now this issue when I look at it, um, my first impression is like if you were to just look at a, like an individual panel, it it doesn't really stand out to me. Other than like there's a few maybe on like page three, there's a big close up of um, I'm not sure which character this is. The old man, uh, is it Slaughter? Yeah, Slaughter. Yeah, Slaughter's face. That's a great close up of his face. But it's not to say that it has to be detailed to be good. But the rest of it. It's almost like the anatomy is a little bit sloppy to me, no, but I no, think no, no, what, no. but I'll <laughs> tell you, no, no, but this is what makes it stand out is he's got such a striking sense of design. Yeah. And so when you go through the story, I mean, like we said, we're not huge fans of Roger McKenzie, but I think the storytelling is so good that it just makes it exciting. You know, like yeah, when he's uh, on his, uh, his fight scenes, his, his poses, they're very dynamic, a lot of energy. Right. Um, like it, on page eight, when he's uh, climbing up on the, the roller coaster, sorry, you were going to say something? No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. Like, it's just like that. It's a mostly silent, uh, sequence on page uh, eight and it's, there's no words, but it's just great to follow along with what's going on. And, you know, there's a nice silhouette of, sh- uh, shot of Daredevil kicking uh, a guy in the face and punching out another one it, and then there's a shot looking straight down uh the what's it called the um uh the roller coaster to see the depth of the roller coaster and this is another example where um there was a lot of techniques that I thought that Todd McFarlane and kind of invented like in the late 80s and a lot of the techniques that he used I realized he got from Frank Miller and one of them is these really tall skinny panels that he uses to show depth and I think that's a really cool trick that Frank Miller had yeah, I, I think uh, this is Frank Miller's best. I don't know. I don't like his later stuff. Like, I'm not a fan of the Dark Knight style. I, I get it. Really? It's, yeah, I get it that it's cool that he evolved and did other, the other styles, but I don't mm. like that stuff. <laughs> but this really? early Frank Miller, like early 20s Frank Miller is tremendous. And, uh, 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 well, first, let me mention a couple other things about Roger McKenzie. Sure. He also did the Marvel, uh, he had a run on Captain America, and remember yes. we, uh, with issue uh, episode one of Flea Market Fantasy, we were talking about how uh, in the next issue, 250, the one we didn't review, Captain America ran for president. Well, that was actually Roger McKenzie's idea, and they shot it down uh. when he first pitched it. And then Roger Stern and uh, John Byrne were able to do it later, and they made sure to give him credit for the idea. So he, oh. gets, he gets credit for that idea. 
Uh, he, he also did Marvel's adaptation of Battlestar Galactica. So that's, really, that's I might so. have an issue of that somewhere. Yes, yeah, so we'll have to review that as well. <laughs> so, so that's something. Um, but yeah, with, then when uh, Miller took over the the writing, he took over the art from uh, Gene Colan was the artist before Frank Miller. And when when Gene left, uh, Frank Miller took over the art. And a big a big factor in his art, I think, is the work of inker Claus Jansen. Yes, excellent inker. Yeah, because I, I think uh, they they just work beautifully together. And mm-hmm. once Miller started writing the title, uh, oh, I should say Daredevil wasn't very popular back then. All right? No, no. Yeah, so it, in it, fact, it was bi-monthly, right? Yes, it wasn't. That's even, right. Yeah. Every other month it was coming out, and then Miller took over with one sixty-eight and introduced Elektra and started giving it that martial arts ninja kind of feel to it. Within three issues, the sales were so uh, they skyrocketed. They're so strong that Marvel made it a monthly just three issues later. And when it went monthly, Miller was having trouble keeping up with the writing and the drawing. So mm-hmm. he was just doing breakdowns and Claus Jansen would finish them. Mm-hmm. And so Jansen was, uh, and eventually with, you know, they, they had like a three year run together within like a year. Jansen was pretty much doing a lot more of the finishing. He was also inking and he was also the colorist. Uh, okay. So the fact that those two men were doing all the art, they really mm-hmm. had a unified vision, and uh, the color played a, a big ro- role in this run as well. If you get a chance to read, I think Marvel put oh, out an omnibus yeah, of, of just the uh, uh, of uh, Miller and uh, Jansen's work. There's a couple. I, I, there's at least one, maybe two, but they have all the issues collecting. You can read them, but pay attention to the color and Jansen's use of color and how that helps with the stories. Um, yeah, it's really great. This whole run is because this is all Elektra and Bullseye and Kingpin. Mm-hmm. And uh, the hand—it's just spectacular stuff. This era of Daredevil. So well, it's yeah. funny because, like I, like I said, uh, my first ever Daredevil comic was one of the chapters of uh, Born Again. Yes. And that's what I mean. Right, I read that, and I—it it blew me away. Like it made me a Frank Miller fan, it made me a Daredevil fan, and obviously, I eventually went on and got the rest of them. But the funny thing is, is I have only read scattered issues of this first run on Daredevil by Frank Miller. And I had this really weird uh, collection, okay? This is what Marvel used to do. They used to put out these Baxter paper collections before there was a lot of trade paperbacks. So there'd be like Warlock or Doctor Strange, and they would reprint um, comics, but they, they had like a, an odd uh, page count. So I think what it was is they were 32 or maybe 64 pages, but it never matched up with the original page, page count of the comics that they were reprinting. Okay. So the stories would always end mid, mid-issue and then pick up the next one, right? But then for the Daredevil one that I got, it was actually called, I think, the Electra Saga. And so what they did was they collected all of uh, Electra's appearances together, but they cut out any subplots that didn't involve her. Yeah. So it was really awkward to read. So I'd like to finally, I'd like to actually go back and read everything, you know, all at once. It's definitely so. worth it. It's great stuff. And uh, M- Miller's original run ended on Daredevil at 191. And then he mm-hmm. came back uh, years later and, and did The Born Again with David Mazzuccelli as the artist. And the, yes. those were issues like 227 to 233, I think, around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's my favorite arc in all of comic books, Born Again. And Mazzuccelli's art there is amazing. Um, so, yeah, definitely. It's, my, it, it's, probably, it's probably my favorite Marvel comic. Yep. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, obviously I love Alan Moore. I love uh, Watchmen. I love Grant Morrison. But for Marvel, yeah, Frank Miller, like, he was just on fire in the 80s. He was so good. Now, uh, Claus Jansen and uh, Miller, they also did The Dark Knight together. 
Absolutely, uh, yep. And they had a falling out, I guess, over the Dark Knight. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, apparently Miller was pissed because he found out that Jansen was having assistants do the background inking. Ah, I didn't know that. And some of his assistants back then, uh, there, there was one uh, fellow named Todd McFarlane. I think he was one of his assistants. Really? Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, Jansen and Miller had a falling out, and they Jansen thought they would never work together again. But it seems like they're back on good terms now because uh, there's a video on YouTube you can find of just two years ago. They did a uh, presentation together. I think Jansen works at, like, the New York School of Visual Arts or something like that. And okay. He's one of the faculty members, and he had a uh, – a presentation with Frank Miller where they just sat on stage for two hours in front of an audience and they just told stories and uh, answered questions. And it was really to honor Will Eisner because they were both okay. big fans of uh, the spirit and Will Eisner. But it's, I, I want to, I've listened to some of it, but I want to go back and listen to the rest because it's good stuff. So they seem to be chums again, which is good to hear. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Because yeah, they were dynamic together back in the uh, late 70s or 80s. Definitely highly recommend going back and reading that entire Daredevil run if you have the chance. It's great stuff. Now, what about, have you read um, Electra Assassin? I never have. I never have. Ah, interesting. But, but that either. was uh, Frank Miller writing and Bill, say his name, Michael. Sinkevich. <laughs> Sinkevich. Yeah, painted <laughs> art. Yeah. yeah, I love his art too. And uh, Miller and Sinkevich did a graphic novel, uh, Daredevil, called uh, War and Love, I believe. Right. Or, or Love and War. Love and War. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, yeah. That's that's more poetic. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it fills in the background of Kingpin. Uh, it was before the Born Again arc, so it let you know what was going on with Kingpin and his wife Vanessa. Uh, but Sinkevich's arc there is spectacular. It's all painted and everything, so it's great. Definitely. It's so funny because I'm such a huge fan of Frank Miller and of Daredevil, but I'd never even heard of Daredevil: Love and War until like a few years ago. It's yeah. bizarre. So yeah. yeah, I'll have to go back and read that. It's really good stuff, though. Uh, Turk is also in that one as well. So, <laughs> oh, good. There you go. More Turk. All right. <laughs> More Turk. Uh, so, uh, <sighs> so, what what about Frank Miller though? You you a big fan of his? Like, you obviously love The Dark Knight, I guess, right? You know, I, no. Well, my first my first loves of Frank Miller are uh, Born Again and Daredevil. Or sorry, Born Again and and Batman Year One because Batman Year One is also drawn by David Mazzucchelli, right? Ah, there you go. Um, yeah. Have you have you read Batman Year One? No. Oh my God, <laughs> it is so good. Trust me, you've got to read it. Um, it's probably my favorite Batman story. It's incredible. But anyway, um, no, but yeah, I but back in the '80s, I really thought that Frank Miller was as good as I mean, at the time he was as good as Alan Moore. But I think what happened was as time went by, you know, I would pick up say Sin City, and I, I just it didn't click with me as well as his daredevil stuff did right and then more time went by and then he came back and he did uh what was it called the dark knight strikes again did you ever read that no oh my <laughs> okay it was a three issue prestige format series honestly i thought it was garbage and i thought the artwork <laughs> looked like it was drawn by an eight-year-old I, I don't know. care i can i can forgive you know I, I like abstract art but this was terrible and then he went and did uh he wrote all-star batman which was terrible and then he did a <laughs> Oh, he's just, I think he's just gone completely off the rails now. Now, now, did he do like a third Dark Knight thing? Like Dark Knight or something or other? Or? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, they got to be cool. So they call it DK3. But yeah, there yeah. was a third Dark Knight. <laughs> and I think he co-wrote that with Brian Azzarello. And 
I think so. But I, I read the first issue and it was just sort of average. So I just didn't go beyond that. Yeah, I heard that was also uh, less than good. Um, but yeah, you could say that again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, like I can appreciate that he evolved his style and tried different styles. But that later stuff, not for me. But this early mm-hmm. work on Daredevil, love it. Can't get enough of it. See, so. see like, okay, I'll, I'll tell you right now, you know, I consider myself pretty open-minded. But if I didn't know that this was Frank Miller yeah. and I, and I ha- you know, and I didn't, if I wasn't already familiar with his work, you would have no idea. I don't, it, it, well, it's not, it, and it wouldn't even, to be honest, it wouldn't even stand out to me. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, like I said, we talked about the storytelling, but if I were to just glance at this, it would ne- it would not stand out to me at all. Yeah, but I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get enough. Well, that's good. So there you go. Daredevil 161. Anything else you'd like to comment on, Michael? I can only say that, um, you know, one of the frustrating things about doing this podcast is every time I read one of these single issues, I want to read everything that comes after it, you know? (laughs) Well, you really don't have to read the issues that come after this one because it's it's pretty not so good. Well, there's, I guess, two issues later, there's a good one. He fights the Hulk coming up. Daredevil versus the Hulk. So that's pretty good. Uh, And then eventually... But then, then 168 is where you want to jump in on because that's when okay. Miller takes over. That's but I, I just feel this compulsion. I figure, ah, it's, you know, this is 161 and there's only seven issues in between, so I should just <laughs> read it. So I'll, I'll probably end up reading them all. Yeah, you know what I want to mention about the early Daredevil, uh, like the okay. Stan Lee days? Um, there was a fella who appeared, I think, every other issue. There's a villain named Stiltman. <laughs> Are you yes. a fan of Stiltman? I'm a huge fan. Who isn't, right? <laughs> because Daredevil fought him like a thousand times in those uh-huh. first hundred issues. That's Stilt awesome. man. <laughs> yeah, and I, if you think about it, that's su- it seems like he would be very easy to defeat. You could just sort of, you know, give him a little shove, right? Yeah, he's got the... And uh, then he'd be toast. The hydraulics and the, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it? Gyroscopes. Keeps him on balance. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, well, so I can't I, just I didn't, knock him over. But okay. pretty much every time you, someone fights Steel Man, they always end up beating him by tying a rope around his legs and tripping him. That's pretty much how it always happens. Really? Okay. So, yeah. Like, not much to him. Yeah, like, you know, Daredevil's early uh, rogues gallery, there's not much to it. Like, I think there was Owl Man. There was, well, well um, just Owl. I mean, not Owl Man, just Owl. Oh, Owl. Yeah, owl, just the Owl. You're right. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, you had Gladiator. He was another uh, prominent villain back in the day. Right. Um, who, in the, who in the TV show is the guy who designs the costumes, right? Yeah, and that's what he did in the comics, too. He was a costume designer. Oh, I, so, I didn't um, know that. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of other... Uh, well, you had Purple Man who became, uh, Miss, you know, Kilgrave. Who in the show that is called Kilgraven, yeah. yeah. You know, I didn't even know he was he was Purple Man until like halfway through the series. <laughs> yeah. Because he wasn't but, Purple. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. Like, come on, you know, stick. You gotta, you know, adapt it accurately, right? Make him purple. <laughs> gotta come make on. him purple. But yeah, Daredevil's yeah. villains weren't weren't the best. Elite Frog was another one. Ooh, Elite Frog. that was rough. Yeah, but, and that's uh, the thing is, I mean, technically Frank Miller just took the kingpin from Spider Man. Yes, right, and just yep. inserted him into Daredevil. It's so. pretty crazy that uh, Daredevil's like when you think kingpin, right? It's a da- kingpin and Daredevil, kingpin and Daredevil. But yeah, kingpin was right. a Spider-Man villain originally. Can you think of another right. instance of that, Michael, where a villain of another hero was, you know, taken by a different hero and then he became his mortal enemy? Uh, that's, that's a great. It's pretty. You rare. know what? I can think of one. Okay. Okay. Uh, are you familiar with Solomon Grundy? Yes, I love Solomon okay. Grundy. So who would you associate Solomon Grundy with? What superhero? Uh, I well, he was always fighting the Justice League. So I would I would just say uh, Superman, I guess. 
most people think that, and especially because of the song written by a certain bare naked ladies, right? I no, no, no. The, sorry, not not bare, bare naked ladies. Who was it? It was. Um, I have no idea. Oh, you know the song Superman song, don't you? No, I do not. <gasps> it's. Uh, <laughs> oh, we're gonna have to Google that. Just a minute here. Hold here's on. the here's the part of the show where we Google things. Yes, I'm gonna look it up right now. This is a segment we brought over from the LCS Hockey Radio Show. Yeah, it's people. oh, but the Crash Test Dummies. Oh, that's Larry's favorite band, the Crash Test. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, if uh, if you remember the lyrics, he says that Superman never made any money from saving the world from Solomon Grundy. Oh, that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah. Yes, but technically, Solomon Grundy is not a Superman villain. He is a Green Lantern villain. Oh, really? The, Green the original Green Lantern with the red shirt, yeah, and the magic and all that. Not not Hal Jordan, but Alan Scott. And again, just in general, I'm not a fan of a superhero who gets his powers from jewelry. That's just not my thing. <laughs> okay, okay. Like, <laughs> unless you're Sammy Davis Jr. and you're a fella, you shouldn't <laughs> yeah. be wearing a ring. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't share your view, but that's okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Solomon Grundy, though. So hopefully, Mike L., you'll pick something with Solomon Grundy at some point. Uh, I'll have to slide it in for sure. <laughs> All right, so that's Daredevil 161. I guess that's all we have to say about it. Yes. Uh, I give it a 9 Good out of comic. 10. I love it. 9 Good. out of 10? 9 out of okay. 10. Okay. Uh, I will give it a 7, only because it definitely makes me, it's better than I thought it would be. The script is better than I thought, thought it would be, and it makes me want to read more Daredevil comics from this era. So, yeah, 7 out of 10. Uh, you know what sure. I also liked about the big fight? Again, I like, I like fist fights, and we had one early in the book when he's beating up Slaughter's yes. men. And then we had that great one at the end when Bla also Black Widow beating up people. Uh, right. But I liked when Bullseye was throwing baseballs at Daredevil. He's just beating him up with baseballs. That was cool. Yeah. And you know what I also love? When Daredevil smashes his head into, yeah. what is it, a pinball machine? Something like that. Very yeah. typical uh, Frank Miller, not typical, but classic Frank Miller violence. It was really good. And also we see uh, Bullseye catch Daredevil's billy club and then uh, use it against him. And he cracks him with it and like... Yeah, so yeah, I loved mm -hmm. it. Loved it. Some good good moments in there, yeah, Nine absolutely. All right, Michael, so next week it's one of your picks. Please, for the love of God, not make it the Brave and the Bold. I'm begging you. No, I got a surprise for you. Next week it is a Marvel comic. Oh, all right. Thor Annual Number 6. Thor okay. Annual Number 6. Yes. This is written by Roger Stern and Len Wein. And drawn by Sal Busema, our pal Sal Busema. Okay, Busema. So it's not Bushima, it's Busema. No, I thought it was. I thought it was Buscema. Then I thought it was Bushima, but no, it's Busema. 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 Because that's, that's the thing. When you're a kid and you read all these names, you just pronounce them as you think they should sound, and you never hear right. anyone ever say their names. You know exactly. You, nowadays with the internet, of course you do. But back like then, submariner. <coughs> yeah, it never happened. So it's right. Busema. So John Busema. In Sal yep. Busema, I always thought Absolutely. it was Bushima. Hmm. All right. Me too, because you fi you figure what's his name? The actor, um, what's his name? The Mr. Pink. Uh, oh yeah, I know who you. John Bushema. No, Steve, Steve Buscemi. Buscemi. <laughs> John, John Buscemi. <laughs> Steve Buscemi. Steve. So you think Buscemi, Buscema, but yeah. no, it's Busema. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'll. Now, I got a surprise for you. Oh, I'm one sorry. thing: this is inked. This this Thor annual is inked by a certain Klaus. Jansen. Ah, yeah. Or Cla Jansen. Klaus yeah. Jansen. He's so. top notch. As good, yeah. good as it gets as an anchor. Um, but uh, when you when we talk about the Busimas, uh, do you mm -hmm. consider Sal the lesser Busima? 
Well, to be fair, I think John Buscema is like the one of the top like three or four artists in like history. So uh, yeah, an argument could John, be made for that. Yeah. Uh, again, if you ever, when I was a kid, I bought the book how how to draw Marvel or how to draw comics the Marvel way, and that was right. of course done by John Buscema. He he put down the blueprint for how to draw comics. Mm-hmm. So. But to be fair, most of those techniques were innovated by Kirby. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he is like he is definitely the more realistic artist. So if you yes. if you you think Kirby's too abstract, then then uh, John Buscema is definitely the way to go. And like he's one of those guys where I've never seen him draw a bad you know comic. He's just so good, and he was good up until the very last assignment he ever had. You know, he's just oh so good. Now, granted, he 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 hated he apparently hated drawing superheroes. Really. Yeah, he did. He hated superheroes. And sometimes you can see that he's rushing, but even when he's rushing, he's just so effortlessly good, you know? He's just yeah. incredible. But anyway, no, but Sal, Sal Buscema, definitely not as good. But there are, as he got older, he definitely got better. And even when he wasn't great, you can see his storytelling was incredible. So I'm a big fan of Sal Buscema. Now, now is there a reason you picked this particular issue, Thor? I never heard of Thor Annual 6. Like, is this a significant issue of some sort or what's going on here? <laughs> It's only significant because it guest stars some of my favorite superheroes, and that's the original lineup of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. Not the ones that were in the movies. Yes. We're talking about Major Vance Astro, yep. Nikki, Charlie 27, Martin X, Starhawk, and of course, the original version of Yondu. So. If you go back to uh, the Comic Book Syndicate website and you go through the archives, you'll find a flea market fantasy column written about an issue of the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, that's right. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, this will be good then. Thor Annual 6 next week. You got it. Yes. Yeah. Next. Look for it next Tuesday, right? Sure. Yes. All right. Okay. Ah, barring some unforeseen circumstance. Definitely. Okay. So, yeah, it was great joining you again for our weekly look at Bronze Age comics. This is Mike L. And Michael Dell. <laughs> All right. We'll see you again next Tuesday on Flea Market Fans. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.